We, we have been studying through the book of Romans for getting close to a year now. Um, but no worries if you've not if you've not been tracking with us, that's okay. You're, you're coming in at a good time. We last week began with Romans 12, and this is kind of starting a new section in Romans, if you will. Okay, all the things that we've been doing up to this point has been a lot of theology, a lot of things about God, about about Him and His creation, about Jesus and how He went about what He did to save us. Does anybody else hear that? It's just me. Okay, I'll just keep talking. Anyways, now we get to this point in Romans 12 where Paul turns and it's like, if I can make up a word, practicology. Is that a word? This is the practical stuff. All the things we've been studying to this point and now, what does that look like to live it out? Okay. Um, Teenagers, set an example for the believers. Get your Bibles, journals, teach them how to take your notes like y'all do. So good. Um, one of our, our kids that has grown up here in the villages played basketball at the charter school. His name's Trey, man. Y'all probably have heard of him. He, fantastic basketball player, went and played basketball at the University of Florida. Last summer, he was drafted by the Oklahoma Thunder, had an incredible rookie season. We're excited for him. Uh, getting ready for this message, I texted Trey to say, hey, when you were drafted, did the Thunder give you anything? You know, like a notebook or something, a, Something that says this is what it looks like to be part of the Oklahoma Thunder family. He's yes, it gave us a document that had the most important things about what it looks like. And, and basically the Thunder were saying, Trey, we loved you. We chose you. OK, we wanted you to be on our team. And now that you're part of the Oklahoma Thunder family, here's this document of what it looks like to be part of the family. And Paul has been saying all these things and, and he's taught us. God has said to us as Christians, I love you. I chose you. I wanted you to be part of my family. And now that you're part of the family, this section right here, this stuff that comes next, this is what it looks like to be part of the family. Are you with me? So that's Romans 12 to 15, the section that we're now in. So if you've been looking for, hey, what does it look like to live the Christian life? Romans 12 to 15 is a great place for you to camp out in your Bible. Um, in fact, one commentator, he even titles this section, Romans 12 to 15, verse 13 or so, God's righteousness in everyday life. Isn't that a great title? God's righteousness in everyday life. Hey, you, we ought to be reading this on a consistent basis to remind us what that looks like. Now, as we enter this part of Romans, Romans 12, we need to be reminded of what Paul told us in Romans 8, verses 6 through 8. I think this is on the screen. Look with me real quick. Romans 8, 6 through 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, an opponent to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, what's it say? It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this is a good time for kind of a self-assessment, if you will. Okay. Is God living in your life? Has his spirit come to dwell in your heart? Is he making a change in your life? Are we growing spiritually speaking? Are we different than we were before we started claiming to know Christ? Now, this is not to say um, that it's all based on our effort. okay? but when you know God, when his Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your heart, he goes to work on your heart. Can anybody give a testimony to that? When you come to know him, he goes to work on your heart. He goes helping you to look more and more like God's very own son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're looking for. 
So, so we're going to read the whole passage together real quick. Romans 12, 3 through 8. And then we'll go from there and look at it a little bit more specifically. Verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Can we pray? Just short prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Teach us today what it looks like to be part of your family. Teach us today how to operate on a daily basis with your word being our foundation. And thank you for being a God who never fails. Amen. Amen. All right. First thing we want to look at today is guess what? The first word. What's the first word there? For or therefore. By the grace given to me, Paul says, I'm going to start talking about what I is based on what I said last week when we studied verses one and two. What did he tell us last week? He was urging the Romans to present their bodies or their entire selves to God as a living sacrifice. He told them not to be conformed to the world, which if you have not noticed is getting harder and harder as the world gets louder and louder, isn't it? He told them to be transformed by the renewing of their minds that there has to be some sort of knowledge of God that comes into our head. That's why we are so passionate here at Heritage about God's word. This is his chosen vehicle to teach us about himself. This is his chosen vehicle to show us what it looks like to be part of his family. And then he starts verse three with this word for. So our passage today is written to Christians, Christians who are working toward not conforming to the world, Christians who are working on being transformed by the renewing of their minds. So look at your Bible there, verse three, quick quiz. It's not gradable, so don't stress. Who is Paul speaking to in verse three? What's it say? Look, look. Every, who said that? Who got the point? Everyone, youth pastor. <laughs> Bonus points. He says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. This is great and important for us because guess what? He's speaking to the whole church. Paul's not speaking to staff members. He's not speaking to the leaders. He's not speaking to just the ultra spiritual in the church. So everyone should stay awake today because this is for you. Now, let me give you the main idea. As part of our transformation into the family of God, Paul is now teaching us how to think about ourselves, others and our gifts. Okay, as we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind, not conforming to the world, becoming part of his family, he teaches us how to think about ourselves, how to think about others, and how to think about our gifts. So let's look at the first thing. How, do we, how are we to think about ourselves? Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I think the word here for us is a familiar word. It's humility. Humility. Okay? Maybe you've heard the quote from C.S. Lewis, pretty famous. It says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, 
but thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? We're not to be going around as Christians just saying, oh, you know, I'm nothing but just, you know, I'm not worth anything. No, you're a child of the king. Okay, it's okay to know that, but, but maybe to put others in front of ourselves. Paul has a good understanding of what this looks like. Look at verse 3 again. Look what Paul says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. See, Paul knows that his authority as an apostle, all the gifts that he has that have been given to him, they are from, from God. They are grace given to him. He did not deserve them. He did not earn them. And Paul, even the guy who wrote majority of the New Testament, he knows that even he is not doing anything good for the kingdom unless what? Unless God helps him, unless God is in it. And so he knows right away, by the grace given to me is why I am approaching you with this subject. This humility thing is a huge deal for the Apostle Paul. He recognizes his dependence on the Lord rather than assuming that we can just do all these things on our own. I mean, if, if there was ever a Christian who could boast, it was Paul, wasn't it? I mean, have you read the New Testament and all the things he's done? But in humility, he knew that he was in constant need of the Lord's help. And he talked about this not just in Romans. He, he talked about it to his friends in Colossae. In Colossians 3, 12 and 13, Paul wrote this. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. He also urged the Christians in Ephesus to be humble. Ephesians 4, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, with bearing with one another in love. Are you starting to get the idea of what humility looks like? He also includes it to his friends at the church in Philippi, and he even adds to it that Jesus is our great example when it comes to humility. Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You getting it? This is what it looks like to live in humility with other people. Now, I notice a lot of you are nodding. Yeah, this is a good Christian message. We should all be humble. But in case you are nodding, you know, a little too easily. Let me step on some of your toes. Um, that's what good preachers do. They step on toes. For some of us Christians in the room, being humble is something that we choose when it is convenient. When you are dealing with your family members or friends that you really care about or when it just doesn't seem worth it to get into an argument, all of a sudden we become humble. But what about when someone opposes you? Are you good at being humble? Are you good at being humble on Facebook when someone puts something that you don't agree with? Are you good at being humble in a conversation about politics? Okay. Brady, let me give you three reasons to be humble even in a situation when someone opposes you. Very quickly, sidebar. 
Be humble, number one, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's 1 Peter 5.5. Write that down and go highlight it later. Number two, because unless you have forgotten, you are a sinner also. So be careful. We all deserve judgment and condemnation, but thank God we have been saved by grace. Our opponents aren't really that different from us, are we? I mean, are we really incapable of doing the sins that we judge other people for committing? I know in my life, if I look back and I'm real honest, I'm a pretty capable sinner. Sometimes it's just easier to be prideful when I'm being opposed. First Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Remember why you're in the position that you are in, saved by grace through faith in Christ. The third reason that you should be humble when you are opposed is because you aren't the issue. God's glory is. When we pridefully rise up to defend our honor, we act as though that's more important than the glory of God. If your opponent is a Christian, the unity of the church family for whom Christ shed his blood, that's the issue. Not your opinion, not your comfort, not your track record of always being right. And if your opponent is a not yet Christian, God's desire for all to be saved is the issue. So be humble, even to those who are against you, because your relationship to that person and your chance to tell them and show them about the love of Jesus is more important than you being right or you getting your way. Or, as the great theologian Hux would say, being Jesus is more important than being right. Yeah? Write that down, teenagers. Tweet that. Being Jesus is more important than being right. So when we're thinking about ourselves, Paul tells us to be humble. Next, Paul tells us, number two, how to think about others. Look at verses four through five. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul loves this analogy of the human body to the church body. Okay, and like any good teacher, once you've got a good illustration, you just stick with it. So he talks about it a lot. Okay, he talks about it in a little bit more expanded version in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read for you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse, verse 12 through 20. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with, the Christ, with Christ and his body. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member or part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul is telling us that in the church, we are to be so unified that it feels like we are one body, one person. We're to be that unified together that we should not be so uh, divided on any issue that it would seem like we're not the same person. 
Jesus knew this was going to be really hard for us. In fact, Jesus knew it'd be difficult for his bride, for his church to be unified so much that he even prayed for it for us. Did you know Jesus prayed for the church in John 17? Listen to what John 17, 11 says. This is your Lord Jesus praying for you. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus wants to be Jesus wants the church to be one as God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. Wow. Now, that's unity, because if you know anything about God and the Trinity, they've been together as one for eternity past, which is a very long time. Now, look again at how Paul says this in verse five. He says, so we, though we're many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. I want you to underline that members one of another. You know what that means? That means we belong to each other. Now, I know some of you are going, hold up. You had me right until that sentence because I don't belong to anybody. I am myself. I'm not submitting. I don't want to hear none of that kind of stuff. This, this life is about me. And, and to the not yet Christian, you may be really struggling with that too. Whoa, I don't want to join something where I got to now belong to somebody else. Okay, but not yet Christian, it's okay because probably you're not the only one in the room that thinks that. Christians sometimes really struggle with the idea of this also. The culture that we live in is all about individuality, isn't it? One, one quote that I read on the internet this week says, success is nothing more than living your life according to your own truth and your own terms. Doesn't that sound like what we're being told to think these days? I don't even know what that means, your own truth. Like something can be true for you and completely false for somebody else in the same room. This idea of submitting to someone else is a foreign idea in today's culture. But if you would allow me, can I try and convince you today that belonging to each other and that kind of relationship is where you're going to experience the most authentic, loving, and impactful relationships you've ever had. Let me, let me show you the benefits of belonging. Did you know that belonging is actually one of the primary human needs? One writer said this, he said, beyond food and shelter, nothing promotes human flourishing like having a people and a place of belonging. In fact, research confirms that income level, marriage and children, and even perceived security all pale in comparison to belonging and promoting sustained happiness. We long to belong. That sounds like Hux too. Tweet that. We long to belong. He, he didn't even give that to me. There is a guy named Roy Ballmeister at Florida State back in the 90s, he did an article demonstrating that the healthiest, most satisfied individuals in life are those who have a place to belong. We're all looking for a place where we are known and where we are also loved by those who know us. I want you to look at this slide so you understand what I'm saying. When you are known but not loved, that's rejection. When you're not known or loved, that's ignored and rejected. That's a bad place to be in, isn't it? When you're not known, but you're loved, this is just means like you're just fitting in. You just kind of go with the flow into a group. But when you are known and you are loved by those who know you, that's belonging. That's belonging. In other words, our deepest satisfaction comes not from achieving this personal autonomy, but through acceptance into unconditional love. 
and an unbreakable belonging to a certain group of people. Belonging is a two-way street. You belong to them and they belong to you. And that's how it's supposed to work inside the church family. When you're in Christ, you belong to his people, his church. Now, here's the deal. If you're still not convinced, this is good news for us if we do it right. If we do it right. Have you ever heard of the one another's in scripture? You should Google it. There's a ton of them. I'm going to read some of them. But if we treat one another the way the Bible teaches us to, because we belong to one another, you're going to love this. Listen to what the Bible teaches us to do. We will love one another, honor one another, welcome one another, show hospitality to one another, have fellowship with one another, agree with one another, live in harmony with one another, be at peace with one another, be kind to one another. Forgive one another, bear with one another, bear one another's burdens, comfort one another, care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. Does that sound like a good relationship to you? Does that sound like the kind of stuff you'd like to have in your life? It does me. I mean, that's the kind of relationships I want. I don't even have time for relationships that are short of that stuff. I mean, I got a dog. He does most of that. I need people in my life that will that will take the one another's of scripture and live them out to me so that I can also live them out to them. That's the kind of authentic community that I want to be a part of. Amen. This is what happens when we set aside our pride and we live like we belong to each other in the church family. Finally, last thing, number three, Paul tells us how to think about our gifts. Verse six through eight. Having gifts that differ, he's already told us we play different roles because we don't all have the same function. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith is service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul goes to a short list here of possible spiritual gifts that Christians have. Every Christian gets one when you become a Christian. God in his Incredible intelligence decides who gets what gift and how strong that gift is going to be. And as soon as you know what your spiritual gift is, guess what? You should be doing it. If your gift is teaching, you should be teaching. If it's service, you should be serving with a smile. If it's giving, not only should you be giving, but you should be giving generously. It's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, you've all seen videos of like little Tiger Woods playing golf, and he was really good. He was even like on TV shows and, and talk shows. And thank goodness he chose to play golf and became one of the greatest of all time. But if you would imagine with me when he was like 17, before his senior year, if he went to mom and dad and said, hey, I'm quitting golf. And, you know, I'm going to give my life to arts and crafts. And <laughs> there's nothing wrong with arts and crafts. I just, I don't think Tiger would have been the goat at arts and crafts. And so that, that would be crazy if he had done that. So when you become a Christian, God, out of his grace, gives you a spiritual gift, every one of us, and he wants us to use that gift to build up his church. He doesn't want you to try to do something you're not good at. Okay, if you can't sing, don't ask Brian Broom if you can sing. That's just silly. Okay, and if you can't stand middle schoolers, please don't serve with our middle schoolers. We love them. We want them to be happy when they come in here. But find what your gift is and use it. In fact, that's the part I want you to underline. Look here. Teenagers, verse 6. What's it say? Having gifts that differ, let us use them. Underline it, highlight it. Let us use them. Star it. Circle it. Use your gift. Use the specific gift you've been given. I want you to play your role here at Heritage Community Church, every one of you. 
from the youngest to the oldest. I honestly didn't mean for this to be all about sports, but Bill Belichick, you know, the coach of the New England Patriots, he's famous for making like the Patriot way. And, and, and they have this phrase that they say. Does anybody know the phrase? Do your job. Yes, thank you. Do your job. It's written everywhere. That's what they say. The idea is that if this guy does his job, this guy does his job, not worried about everyone else's, then we will have the best chance to be successful. It's the same way in the church. If we all play the role God designed us to play, we will be successful in building his kingdom. But when we play roles other than the ones we're gifted in or we don't play a role at all, we will not be that effective as a church body because we're not doing the things that God intended for us to do. Remember, he's the one that builds the church. He's the one that gives the gifts. And it's time for us to begin using it. I mean, just like Paul's analogy of the human body, you know, like if your right hand all of a sudden decides to become your right nostril, that is not good. It's not. Somebody will bring you, you know, an apple pie and say, oh, this is so good. Smell this. And you're like... That doesn't make any sense. Your hand can't smell. Not going to work. And it's not only the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Peter. He says the same thing. First Peter four, verse 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it, underline it, circle it, star it, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything and check it out, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Are you with me, baby? Are you OK? <laughs> as a father, I have no more joy than to see my daughter on Father's Day serving the Lord. The people on YouTube and Facebook, this isn't going to make any sense to them. They can't hear or see you. Here's the... <laughs> Have y'all seen that bit? Never mind. Look, look, it's 1142. We got to focus. Okay, focus. We're, on, we're almost... <laughs> I love teenagers. Are you ready? Let's bring it home. Jay, you missed it. Um, here's the deal. Usually you get a gift for your birthday or Christmas. It's for you. It's for your glory. It's for your happiness. It's your joy. You're to use it as you see fit. It doesn't work that way with spiritual gifts. We get a spiritual gift so that we can use it to serve others in the church family for his glory, for his glory. And when we don't use it or we try to use something else that we're not that good at, we are not giving him the glory that he deserves. And we're not functioning as a church body the way we should function. So two questions for you. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Number one. OK. Number one. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? If you don't, don't think too hard about it. What are you passionate about? What are you good at? What did God create you to do? What is that thing that when you wake up in the morning, you get really excited about? Figure out how you can use that to the glory of God for his church family. OK, I want you to look at this screen real quick. Get your phone out. Hurry. This is technical. We're going to do this fast. You don't have time for this, but I want you to shoot it and it's going to take you to a link. Open up that tab and save it for after Father's Day lunch. 
You're going to take this spiritual gift survey. If you've never done that, take you about 10 to 15 minutes and it's going to spit out a bunch of information. It's not the Bible, okay, but it's going to be a good direction tool to help you decide what your spiritual gift might be, okay? It's going to give you a few options. Number two, once you know what your spiritual gift is, are you using your spiritual gift to minister to your church family here at Heritage? Second slide, do it again. This will open another tab for you. Save this one for later too. It's gonna go to our link tree that's got a bunch of links, but there's one link I may jiggle jiggle for you. And it's, um, it says, find your role at HCC, okay? Find your role at HCC. You click that, there's gonna be a form where you can see a lot of the ways that you could be serving here at Heritage, whether it's children's or youth ministry, or it's, it's doing all this video and, and audio media, or it's singing or serving it beyond the walls, or, or what is it gonna be? Find your role here at Heritage. You know, if you've not noticed, it's a little uncomfortable in here because we had to add chairs and the rows are smaller. Have you noticed that? So many people have been coming to the services on Sunday. Man, that is really good. My question is, if there's so many people coming that God is bringing, building his church and he's giving them spiritual gifts, why are we short on people to help serve in children's ministry? Or student ministry? Or teaching Bible study? Or serving beyond the walls to our neighbors in the community? If God's bringing them and he's building this church and he's giving them a gift, we've got to be using that. Yes? Okay, I heard a bunch of yeses there. Go find these people this mission statement at Heritage is this. Create an environment where people can grow spiritually, share life together, and serve the world. Grow spiritually, share life together, serve the world. Whatever your spiritual gift is, and every one of us has one if we're a Christian, needs to be using that gift to, to play a role in fulfilling that mission statement. Pretty simple. Finish up. Paul wants us to be Christians who do three things. Think of ourselves as humble servants belong to the other members in our church body and use our God-given spiritual gifts for the sake of the kingdom. I can get really excited about a church who will operate in that way, can't you? One of our church family members who's using their spiritual gifts to go on a trip very soon is Jay and Ashley Cook. Jay and Ashley, come on up here. Um, I want Jay to tell you a little bit about this trip they're gonna take and then we're gonna pray for them as a church body as we go out today. Hux, go ahead and come up here. Hux is part of their small group. I'll have him pray. How about that? And then you'll be ready. Sorry we had to take that like five-minute break when my daughter was laughing. But <laughs> Jay, tell us about what you guys are going to be doing in Africa. So we've got an opportunity to join up with a group called Church Mission Network. And this is going to be a one-week medical mission. Um, and it, the doctors are kind of just the entryway. Um, every patient that comes through gets prayed with by uh, Kenyan pastors. And so we're been instructed that we'll probably see between 1,500 and 2,000 patients in wow. a week. And kind of the hope is at each of the four places that we're going in remote Kenya, there will be enough believers to plant a church in each spot. And so that's, that's kind of the true work behind the scenes. So once they get past the uh, the doctors, then then God gets the glory and uh, his kingdom spreads. Awesome. And so, Jay, tell us what you do for a living. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Just to be clear, you know, you shouldn't be a doctor on a mission trip if you're not a doctor. <laughs> play, play your role, okay? Yes? So we, um, 
I'm just saying, that wouldn't be good. Do your job. Do your job. Uh, so we've not done one of these before. We've talked about doing a medical mission for quite a while. Um, and so we don't know a lot of what to expect other than we've been told to expect to see a bunch of people. Um, it's a bunch of people that live in a very spiritually dark place. And so uh, to expect uh, some demonic warfare and just be ready. Awesome. Excited for you guys. Hugs, will you lead us in prayer as we go out? Would you guys just pray in agreement with us as, as we send Jay and Ashley out? Let's pray. God, we know that we can't spell gospel without go, God without go, good news without go, and here we are standing before a couple that is going to preach the greatest news on the face of the planet, and you tell us to go into all the world and preach the good news. God, you tell us the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and God, we know that there's work to do, that we need to do our job, that we need to use the gifts that you have given us, and God, I'm thankful for this couple that is stepping out in faith, that is going across the world to further your kingdom, to bring you glory, but God, I pray you would remind them that you go before them, that you would give them a hedge of protection surrounding them, that God, when they faced adversity, God, that they would continue to realize that you walk with them, that God, when you are weak, or when they are weak, God, you are strong, that God, I pray they would see your grace is sufficient for them. God, we pray as they go, people would come to know you. Churches would be built. Lives would be changed. God, I pray you would impact them like never before. God, we thank you for what you're going to do through the Cook family. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Awesome.